always the story has to end happily with the animal receiving what it needs. It's so important that children see that there's a happy ending and that they can be involved in that happy ending. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. I hope you're doing well. I'm feeling great because I get to give stuff away today. We had another e-newsletter subscriber draw, and the winner is Gail from Nanaimo. Gail, a package of lovely gifts from Lush Cosmetics is on its way to you. And this week, we've got another giveaway. This week's guest, the Griffin Press, sent us a copy of their beautiful, heartwarming book, Friends in Fur Coats, and we're going to give it away. One of our patrons will be randomly selected and announced on next week's episode, so make sure you sign up to support Defender Radio, get special content, and be automatically entered into contests like this. Just visit patreon.com slash defenderradio. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com slash Defender Radio to support the show for as little as $1 per month and get your chance to win. The Griffin Press is a wonderful publishing company the Fur Bears met through the Humane Education Coalition. They're children's books on subjects from adopting dogs, rescuing rabbits, and, of course, why animals need their fur all reflect the publisher's tagline, a voice for the voiceless. Emily Buckwald, publisher of the Griffin Press, joined Defender Radio last week to discuss why she came out of retirement to start up a new business that's published several award-winning books, how truthful stories can create compassion in children, and what Griffin Press looks for in a story about the animals. A five-minute news brief version of this interview is available at thefurbears.com or in your podcast feed. We're talking about the Griffin Press. We're going to talk about a couple of the books I think what is a really fun way to start is to tell me the story of why you want to tell stories. Well, um, I started a literary press called Milkweed Editions. I co-founded it with an artist back in 1979, and that press succeeded, and it's a nonprofit literary press, uh, and there are now about 3 million books in print. I retired from that press in 2003. We have a new publisher, Paul, as well. And then the first thing I did was to get a dog. Mm -hmm. And that was the most important thing that I could do because, of course, when I was working from dawn to past dusk, I could not take care of a dog. So once I had the dog, I began to read the animal blogs, and I recognized the fact that children, even some rather young children, were behaving irresponsibly, even cruelly, toward animals. And I was astonished. Uh, And then, of course, being a publisher, (laughs) it occurred to me that perhaps there, there should be books that dealt with the idea of the human animal bond and beautiful books uh, for children, picture books, that had ideas about that kind of responsible behavior. 
And I looked, first I looked around because I really did not want to be publishing again. But I saw that no major publishing house has a program of that kind. Every now and then they'll publish a wonderful book, um, especially for intermediate readers. But really for younger children, uh, the picture books are often uh, Disney-fied animals, animals that bear no relationship to reality. Mm-hmm. They don't have the real problems that animals face and experience every day. And so I thought, well, all right, I will, I will do this. Uh, I will start this new press called the Griffin Press. And if you wish, I can tell you a little bit about why I gave it that name. I would love to hear that. All right. The griffin, as you know, is a mythical beast uh, that is composed of several different kinds of animals, the body of a lion and the, um, you know, the, the wings of an eagle and the face of, of a serpent. And in history, uh, it has wonderful symbolic um, attachments. For instance, way back uh, in the history of, of Minoan civilization, in, in the room, in the palace at Knossos, where the king dealt justice, the entire room has griffins painted on it as symbols of fair witness. And I thought that was kind of a fun idea, uh, to have the press be named after an animal that represented several different kinds of creatures, and that was involved with seeking justice for animals, hence the Griffin Press. It seems absolutely perfect. Uh, what were your first books? You've, you've got what must be two dozen here uh, online now. I, I knew I wanted to to begin with something that would be uh, very uh, enjoyable and fun, and dog parks were just beginning to take off in the United States. Um, and so I thought, let's have a book about uh, a dog park and the role it plays in bringing people and animals together. And then I thought it would be important to to publish a book uh, about an abused, neglected animal. And so the other book that came out at first was a book called Buddy Unchained. I actually wrote that book under my maiden name of Daisy Bix. And I wanted a very simple text and to let the art tell the story of a dog who had been successfully rescued after a really miserable life. And uh, to have it to have it end happily, to have it begin happily, have it end happily, but in the middle to have people, children, understand what a dog is facing in a situation like that. And that book, Buddy Unchained, to my surprise, has continued to be the book that we sell the, the most, that is in the most classrooms around the country, and, and for that matter, around the world. And uh, we actually published a Spanish edition of, of that book um, a couple of years ago um, because we wanted, we were 
we were working with an organization in California that had a large Spanish-speaking audience, and they asked us if we would publish a translation. I mean, you know, Buddy Unchained shows children throwing things at a dog that's chained, um, a dog who's not getting fed regularly or, uh, you know, not taken in when, when it's raining and snowing. So in other words, it, it's, the art is, is quite beautiful and, and graphic and really tells the story. And, and that's a story that seems to resonate with children, with teachers, and I don't think that um, if you're an animal lover, you can look at this book without being moved. And that's the idea. <laughs> you, you want to move people to do well for animals. Is there concern, and I ask this from a place of ignorance as someone I am not a parent, is there a concern that the, the graphic content, and I say that recognizing that it is done with children's style art, uh, so friendly art, can cause emotional distress to a child. Um, how, how do you sort of show that suffering is a thing and that it's bad without disturbing? That is a very important issue, and we have tried very hard to stay um, away from anything that would cause suffering in a child and so the the things we have shown we've never shown a dog being you know injured or dogs fighting or animals hurting one another um and always the story has to end happily with the animal receiving what it needs uh it's so important that um children see that there's a happy ending and that they can be involved in that happy ending. For instance, uh, with Buddy Unchained, the state of Florida um, had an essay contest for children to write about what Buddy was feeling and thinking and also to draw pictures of Buddy. And then um, the winners of the essay uh, and the drawing contest were given copies of the book. And it, it seemed to be, um, something that, that really was, uh, as successful. One of the books you have, I think is very timely for us to speak about is The Forgotten Rabbits. Oh, yes. Yes. How, how do you create a story that can teach what is, is difficult for adults to understand, it seems, based on, the statistics, uh, so that a child instantly grasps it and understands why a rabbit is not a, a gift, but a family member. Again, it's important to, to make the emotional connection um, and to show children uh, that animals have emotions, uh, that animals are sensitive beings, and so to show um, the beginning, which is all too common, namely at, at Easter time when people are often given baby rabbits, um, to show what might happen when a rabbit is brought as a pet, uh, to show that 
the children who initially would be excited about having a rabbit would soon grow tired of playing with it and feeding it. And then that there would be uh, an empathetic connection. In other words, we're trying without too much anthropomorphizing to have children connect with what the animal would feel if, you know, if, if they were in those circumstances. And then again, uh, a girl who loved animals took this rabbit and gave it a wonderful and happy life. And so again, the, the message is that children are able to make a big difference in the life of an animal. Because that, of course, is what, <laughs> is what we're after. Last year, you published Friends in Fur Coats. And this is one that I'm very interested in, as the yeah. fur industry is something we tackle. Yes, and what a wonderful organization you have. Well, thank you very much. It is, I, I just reading the description, I really enjoy the concept that children learn, uh, to quote the descriptor, in vivid detail, what makes each animal's fur unique, as well as other facts special to each animal. So rather than saying fur is, fur is cruel and look at how horrible it is to take it, it's saying look how important it is to these individual animals. And I thought that was a very creative way of expressing that same sentiment. Yes. Um, again, when we, when we thought about uh, creating this book, we recognized that we could not show graphically what actually happens in the fur industry, which makes all of us so angry and unhappy. So the challenge was to come up with a way for children to understand that you cannot separate the fur from the animal that, and that how important to each animal its fur is. Uh, and that uh, this, this realization we, we felt would again uh, invoke empathy for each of the animals and, uh, and have the children then in a sense, become spokespersons for, uh, uh, with their parents. And that's w one of the reasons um, we, we decided using stuffed animals <laughs> would be a good way of conveying that message because all young children love having stuffed animals mm -hmm. and collect them. And to have those, those animals, to show those animals then coming to life and being, you know, real um, would help to impart that message. And when we take our books to uh, book shows, for instance, we bring some of these stuffed animals uh, because teachers immediately and librarians are immediately drawn to the stuffed animals, as most of us still are. And then to make the connection with the with situation of real animals was was our idea. It looks absolutely wonderful. And a lot of our listeners tend to be people who are looking for ways to be involved with animal advocacy to educate others. Uh, yes, yes, we, we are. We go to, uh, for instance, we just were part of 
a wonderful convention. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Association of Professional Humane Educators here in the United States. That is going on right now. And every year, Dana presents and goes to that meeting and, you know, talks to uh, the people who come, the educators who come, uh, the people working out of shelters who come. And uh, I'm really delighted to say that people teach with our books across the country and that uh, we've tried to make it easier for them. A foundation has given us a grant so that at that conference we're able to give away boxes of our books as classroom sets and and they are drawn by a lottery you know who gets those but mm-hmm. again it these books go all over the country and some go to Canada and um, we also make it possible for um, nonprofits to buy our books at our largest discount, which is 50% off on a box of one particular book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, that seems to be very helpful to shelters and, and other nonprofits who are in uh, this kind of work that we do. The other thing we've done is many of the books have downloadable classroom guides and uh, again, teachers tell us that, that these are very helpful. Excellent. And for, for folks who are interested in trying to write, who are, who are writers, and this is maybe a niche they'd like to explore, what mm-hmm. kind of advice would you offer them? I'm always at a loss for what to suggest to people who want to pursue creative writing, who want to use that wonderful storytelling method to advance humane uh, ideals and education. We do um, every year from October 1st to the end of November uh, accept manuscripts. And the manuscripts are between 750 and 850 words. And of course, all of them have to have the theme of the human-animal bond and how you can responsibly Uh, tell a story that will help animals. And I think perhaps one of the largest misunderstandings about writing a children's picture book is that it's easy. It's not. (laughs) Because those, Mm -hmm. you have only a few words. You know, I mean, it's only the equivalent of of three typewritten pages. uh, And in some cases, much less. As a matter of fact, we like less text because the story really does come to life through the gifted artists whose work we, we publish. Um, so uh, it is an art, and we're always looking for that individual who has mastered it. Check out the books published by the Griffin Press and learn more at thegriffinpress.com. They can also be found on Facebook and Twitter at The Griffin Press. Remember to support Defender Radio with Patreon at patreon.com slash Defender Radio for your chance to win a copy of Friends in Fur Coats on next week's episode.
That's it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all you do. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.